everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I am your host, Site Manager, Emperor, Supreme Warlord, and Defender of the Faith over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. And with me, as always, are my compatriots, Jude Seymour and Brendan McAlinden. Fellas, what's happening? <laughs> I was just arguing so loudly with Josh before we hit record that my wife came down to do a wellness check. She actually looked me in the eye and said, are you okay? I am indeed I, okay. I just have very strong opinions. <laughs> I, I should have recorded that, and I started to, and then I stopped. Uh, but that—that's uh, that'd be well. I guess that'd be—it's going to go with an article for mine tomorrow. Uh, so I guess it would have tied in pretty well. Maybe I should have recorded that. Uh, but we're not going to even. I mean, we could relitigate it if you want. I mean, Brendan could play peacemaker again, but I don't know. No, 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 no. You're you—you you don't understand. So, so Brendan, <laughs> over there, over there in Michigan, what's up, man? Man, I feel like, <laughs> no, I, I feel like, um, I feel like Conor McGregor because this Mayweather has just beat me down. It is. What? I, I had you, to. You died. Is that Mayweather? <laughs> I, I put it out there for Jude, and he didn't bite. He didn't want to play my reindeer oh. games. I finally got it. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be like, what? Um, yeah, I had to cover up my bushes. Uh, all of my new bushes. The easiest fun to get. Jude doesn't get it. And then he's talking about understanding what I'm talking about earlier. Come on, Jude. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it took me a long time. Somebody did a, <laughs> somebody did a meme of pouring a bag of sugar on the calendar of, of, uh, of May. And I was like, I sat there and looked at that damn thing for 10 minutes. And I was like, what the fuck? Frick are they talking about here? And so finally, yeah. And so finally I looked in the comments cause I was like, I'm tired of just not knowing what this is or whatever. And then when I saw it, I was like, Oh, pour some sugar on May. Like, Oh, I'm such an idiot. And now we're getting juice thought process here. And <laughs> the whole, the whole 25 minutes before we hit record makes sense. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, Man, it's we are all just grinding away at our uh, quarantine pandemic life, uh, <laughs> whatever's going on. Uh, I, guys, we don't have any reviews this week, so I want to uh, encourage everyone uh, to uh, definitely rate and review the show. Uh, if it's on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. I will read it word for word. Uh, we've had some fun ones uh, for sure. Uh, some bullshit, uh, all been, but they've all been five stars. It was just fantastic. However, we did get a lot of responses, especially on Twitter last week, about the uh, damn near three-hour podcast. Uh, a lot of people seem to like that. I can't, I can't I, promise I just, three hours a night. Unfortunately, say, we didn't record the first 25 minutes because we'd still be arguing about that shit for the next hour. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, uh, I, I love you all the, the people that love those really long podcasts. When I got off, I was basically delirious. Um, I was, I was yawning. I was giggling. I, it was way too late at night. And I just thought if anybody thinks this is interesting, God bless them. And it sounds like a lot of people do. So, um, you guys are great. You guys are wonderful. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good episode. I think a lot of people, people enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, there is uh, there is some news we, we should cover, though, real quick. Um, uh, Notre Dame did get the commitment of a grad transfer, Nick, Mc, Nick McLeod, uh, cornerback from NC State today. Uh, th- guys, this is uh, it's a, it's a pretty this is a pretty big deal. It's a big fucking deal. There's no relation to Duncan, right? 
I was thinking Ray Ray. Oh, I was I was going Highlander. <laughs> but I guess there can only be one. But uh, I mean, Ray Ray, Ray had some high, Ray Highlander had some hair though. Yeah, he sure did. I mean, did, he, did, he, did he have some some really long braids? Like it looked like he could have came from the Highlands. How about uh, John, the old basketball coach? I know it's spelled differently, but. Uh, what about Ace McLeod from the the hit television uh, cartoon television program, The Centurions, Air Operations Specialist? Big fan, of, big fan of that one. Not familiar with that one. I was gonna say that one went over my head too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah it's one that of those only '90s there. kids remember. McLeod. Yeah, Ray Ray did have some uh, fantastic hair, by the way. That is gorgeous. <laughs> so yeah, so Notre Dame. Uh, look, they were. It's no big secret they were hurting. Um, at corner depth going into spring with no spring practice at all. Uh, it was hard to see anybody develop underneath uh, Sean Crawford and Trick Bracey. Uh, getting a seasoned guy who was a, you know, he was voted in as a captain. He, you know, it got injured early in 2019, but started out the year as a captain. Um, he's got some real game experience. There's some clips out there of him playing against Notre Dame in 2017. Um, and, and actually not doing too bad. Uh, Kevin Severson was, wasn't the easiest guy uh, to defend. Uh, won one, you know, won a few, lost a few, <laughs> but, uh, this is huge. This allows, uh, you know, I really McLeod steps into, I mean, if, as long as he's hundred percent healthy, I, I don't, I'd put money on to say that he'd be the starting field corner, uh, or excuse me, boundary corner, uh, with, uh, Bracey and Crawford playing field Crawford play, you know, nickel. really digging into that nickel role. Yeah. That. That he, I mean, he's been the best nickel at Notre Dame since, you know, for the last decade uh, that he's been there. Uh, this, is, this is huge. So this allows guys like K.J. Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford, you know, to, to develop. There's some competition, obviously, and those guys are talented. But having three, you know, veteran-type players now uh, instead of just the two, three is better than two. What can I say? Well, with uh, Benny Skoranek, right, the the Northwestern transfer, and now uh, Nick McLeod, that's two former uh, team captains. Former oh, team cap- captains, yeah, because yeah. because uh, old Benny, he was a he was a captain at Northwestern, and now uh, Nick McLeod, I believe, was a captain at NC State, right? So that's fun. Yeah, just uh, accumulating like like Thanos. Brian Kelly's out there just like acquiring. Uh, team captains on his infinity gauntlet. It's nice because they lost. Um, I, I don't think that Landon Bartleson would have made an immediate impact in any way, shape, or form being a freshman coming in. Uh, but it does put another body there, which I think that they desperately needed, which means that right. they don't have to move anyone uh, without a spring. That would have been significantly more difficult to cross train. I think with Jude, I, let me ask you this. So d- does this, this at least uh, puts to bed like any kind of uh, does Houston Griffith move back to corner kind of arguments, right? I mean, because he he'd be like your most seasoned style boundary corner then. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that w- this was going to be the great um, linebacker dilemma of 2019 of what we were going to do with our <laughs> secondary uh, and and who was going to play round Robin on which days or whatever. And obviously we didn't get to see any previews of that for, for spring practice, but I, I agree with your take. I agree with your assessment. I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's, that gives you that, that cushion that you need to, to not make that move. Now with, with the addition of uh, McLeod, now Notre Dame does go two spots over uh, their scholarship limit. And I, 
I guess maybe it's not the maybe it's not a total truth right now, but I mean I think a lot of people are expecting um, Trevor Spates uh, to at at some point uh, commit to Notre Dame as a tra- as a grad transfer running back, the running back from the Stanford Cardinal, uh, and that would put Notre Dame number one. It, it would it creates a much more crowded running back room. But also that puts some three over. I think I mean when when everyone says you know this stuff works it out, this stuff works itself out. In essence, they are absolutely correct. But also they don't take these, they don't take McLeod or they don't take Spates without already knowing that there's guys out the door. I'm I don't want to sit here and start you know listing off names. I think there's uh, one or two you know there's one or two maybe obvious ones, but three seems like an awful big number uh, just looking at the roster. Well, I think that you typically hear about these after spring practice, right? Some guy right. doesn't get the reps that he thought he was going to get. And so you typically see that movement um, in March. Um, there's a, you know, usually lose a couple of guys. Now you're not going to lose a guy. But I think that there's ongoing conversation. I'm guessing there's ongoing conversations. And I think that the one thing that we've heard about these staffs is that, that they're pretty blunt in their assessments with these guys. And I think that you know, there's still time in August to get yourself enrolled in another school and get going. And you really haven't missed anything because nobody else has been able to practice with their team. Right. So I almost expect to see a flurry of these happening in August. And then people will freak out because, oh my God, it's right before the season, such turmoil, such chaos. But I actually think this is going to happen with a lot of schools. And I don't think Notre Dame is going to be alone. So if Notre Dame leads three people, again, we always talk about culling. Uh, we're not the only ones to talk about this, but we talk about culling kind of the bottom of the roster. You know, um, right. The guys, the guys in the lower third, basically. And so if, it, if it's somebody who's not been seeing a lot of the, of the field and, and maybe had a position switch or, or just is buried and a freshman is passing them by or whatever, those are the kind of guys you tend to look at and say, you know, maybe they would be better off at, at a, at a smaller school or school with an opening. Um, maybe that's closer to where they live, you know, or where they're from. So I, I really don't. I, I don't I don't panic about this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, if you lost somebody from no, the top third, that'd right. be obviously a cause for concern. But the kind of guys that we think about, the guy, the kind of guys whose names we're not going to say here today, I think those are the guys who are just like, best of luck. I hope you have your Notre Dame right. degree and you're headed out the door. You know, best of luck in your next journey. You know? I, I actually do think that I, I do think that is, this is you're going to find out about this sooner than later, though. Um, I, a lot of the times, I don't know, maybe. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass when I say a lot of the times, uh, but oftentimes uh, it, it's the it's guys from Notre Dame that they've graduated, but yet they have two years of eligibility on the table. Correct. This is this is not a common thing. Whereas after they graduate, you know, maybe they they went through spring and kind of make you know see where they're sitting at. Maybe they you know these are guys that don't really want to leave Notre Dame, but after spring they've they've noticed, hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not really moving on the depth chart. Um, and then, so then after they graduate, then they're looking, uh, they're looking elsewhere. And a lot of these guys at Notre Dame, because of the way they, they do their academics, you know, they got two years of eligibility and they're graduated. Right. Um, so and, we could see that, uh, you know, happen. I mean, that's a, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is kind of, I mean, Golson was a one-year guy, but I mean, he was a post, but he was, a, 
you know, post spring transfer, uh, Corey Holmes, uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you just stole my thunder, right? Which is my go-to, <laughs> yeah. my, my go-to example here is Corey Holmes, that's obviously. Pay, that's, pay, that's payback for not understanding me earlier. <laughs> well, I mean, you could be talking about Trevor Spates as being that next guy that's a two-year plug-and-play, right? Because Trevor Spates has got two years left. Because if they, if they bring Trevor if Spates in, he's year, there for two years. No, if Spates has to prove that his first year of redshirting at Stanford – was due to medical reasons. So if he can prove that, or if that happened, I, and I don't know, I, I guess I haven't dug deep enough into it. Um, but I mean, he's, he's a guy that oh, with only one year of eligibility left with, after his grad transfer. But if, if the two years that he missed were both years because of medical reasons, then he is eligible for a six year. Yes. Yeah. Cause and, I, I mean, and maybe that's the case because I, I've got, cause what I've, I've seen, seen, he's eligible for 2020 and 2021. Right. And like I said, that would be that would be solely based off of if that first year was medical. Yeah. Well, he didn't touch the ball at all in last year. So uh, he didn't record it. Yeah, he didn't touch the ball at all. He didn't record a carry in 2019. And that's the big thing. It can't be just one year of just redshirting. Uh, and then you got her another year. You have to prove that both years that you didn't play were due to medical reasons. A la like Sean Crawford. He was an easy well, six year. I think he was a 16 kid. I think Spates was 2016. I think that's right. I think Spates was a 2016 commit, and they didn't play in 17, so or 19. So wouldn't 2021 be the fifth year? Right. This, this is the fifth. Year. 2020. If he's a 16 kid, the 2020 is the fifth year. If he's going to play in 2021, like he would need that six year of eligibility. So if he if both those years that he missed at Stanford, if those were due to injury, then he could be granted that six year. We'll see. According to Tom, right, Loy, Tom, Tom Loy says uh, he's got but two I mean, left. So, so maybe Tom knows something we don't about the, his injury status. Cause that would be the only way. That'd be yeah. the only way. Can I, uh, but, can, can I take a moment to, to relitigate something that, uh, that I think is kind of, we've kind of just assumed. Um, and I, and I kind of want to re- revisit it, right? We got rid of Autry Denson because he couldn't recruit, right? He couldn't, he couldn't entice running backs to come to Notre Dame. He's a great alum, obviously all-time rushing leader for Notre Dame. A great coach, a by good, the way. I mean, it, yeah, just a, a good guy. Was recruiting prowess, but he was a great coach. Yeah, his recruiting prowess, right? And so I want to say, what has Lance Taylor gotten for us so far? Chris Tyree. Chris Tyree. Okay. Did he, was, was that relationship started before he came? Uh, I don't know, but he didn't sign on the yes. line till. No, it, it absolutely was started. That was, uh, that was a chip long starter. Um, maybe some, maybe some of them were Denson, but Lance Taylor definitely was, uh, was on the staff and knocked at home when Tyree was going to commit to Oklahoma. Okay. I mean, that was, does Denson push the right buttons that Taylor helped with on that one? I don't, I, I just don't think so. I, I, Denson's mentality and it's something that was brought up when he, when he took uh, the head coaching job, is it Charleston Southern? Charleston Southern. Yeah. That, yes. Was that, uh, I, I can't remember who said it, uh, but they said that was a really good place for him because Denson's lack of, um, uh, I don't want to say care. But he's just—he's not really into the whole high-stakes college football 
stuff. Like, you know, he, the, it's not life and death to him. Like it is with a lot of these other coaches, especially hardcore recruiting. And it, it's something that I, I think it's something that he kind of despises is, is the cutthroat way that he, you would have to recruit to get the talent that Notre Dame was wanting. Uh, so a place like Charleston Southern was somewhere where he could be more of himself without selling out to his ideals. I, I guess in a way is, is, is how it was said. Um, so does he do that with, with Tyree? I, I, I mean, I guess based off I mean, of everything that we knew about him, it, probably not. How are you feeling about the 2021 running back uh, recruitment under Lance? Oh, Hill? I'm not good. I mean, yeah, right, yeah. I, I wasn't saying, I wasn't trying to vindicate, uh, I wasn't trying to negate what you were saying, Jude. No, 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 I, I mean, know. Chris Tyree is a big one. Who was your favorite four-star running back that Autry Denson signed, though? <laughs> but listen. Yeah. <laughs> I get with the 2021 class, and this is, I don't know if this is a Lance Taylor thought yeah. or if this was Brian Polian, but the all eggs in one basket thing, the Charlie Weiss style we got to stop that. Shipley. I understand why they did it with him, but I don't believe that it was anywhere close to being necessary. If he's that, thinking that strongly about Clemson, if the only other thing that you can battle with is, is we're all in on you, even though we got a, a really good guy the year before. I, I just, I just don't see the point in that and losing other, losing ground to other recruits out there. If Shipley who was by no means a slam dunk. I mean, right. no matter how good you feel about him, right? He wasn't committed and it wasn't a slam dunk. So how are you not, how you lose ground on youth? It was such a huge risk. And I think it, it's, so it's, I think it's totally backfired. Um, I think it was interesting today, you know, seeing uh, uh, Corey Kinnear uh, from Cincinnati LSU. commit to LSU. Yeah. Uh, LSU. And, and I brought this up in a tweet. I thought, look, LSU is gunning for Midwest talent. Uh, Garrett Dellinger, who is a, a highly ranked four-star offensive lineman. Who's his teammate? Uh, Michigan, Rocco Spindler. Oh. Uh, he he is leaning towards it. I mean, it's, I think the crystal balls are all on LSU for uh, for Dellinger. And guess what? LSU is knocking on Spindler's door. Uh, so this is not a good thing for northern programs like Notre Dame when, you know, when you're saying all the talent's out, down south, right? And it's hard to go get. Well, here's Midwest talent. I mean, I think Kinnear should have been a guy – I mean, if you have to slow play him, you slow play him, but you don't, you don't discount it at all. Uh, I think that I have no idea where to place Notre Dame with Donovan Edwards right now. Um, I, I would have said they had zero shot. There's some out there who think that they have a shot, but they're just behind at the moment. I, I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. Uh, but my general feel is just following and, and reporting on all this stuff over the years is, Notre Dame's not going to get Donovan Edwards. Uh, I, I just don't feel that that's going to happen. He was waiting. He was wanting to. He was a Ohio State lean until Ohio State got their main guy. Uh, and, I mean, Michigan, Penn State. I can't remember who else is more of the picture for him. But I mean, maybe he crawls back. I'm gonna. We're gonna talk to Carter later this week. Everybody uh, got a Thursday night scheduled to cozy up and um, tell him how shitty his food takes are. But we're also going to talk a little bit of recruiting, uh, so so maybe Carter will be able to to uh, to clear up some of that that for us, answer some of those questions for us. Yeah, I think that's a question that you know, if I'm able to make that, I, I would definitely want to ask Carter about because 
Um, you know, look, I, I'm not blaming Will Shipley. I think Will Shipley did what Will Shipley needed to do, but I just, I don't love this whole, um, putting all your eggs in one basket for a guy that you're not, that, that, that doesn't seem to be a tipping point for him. You know, if he wasn't going to, if that wasn't the thing that got him over the hump, then, you know, obviously it's a bad strategy. Now, obviously hindsight's 2020. So I, I'm, I'm able to say that as an armchair quarterback, but I just, you're so far behind now on, on getting a running back and it's just, you can't whiff, you can't whiff on running backs. This is dumb. This is absolutely dumb. People running backs should want to, should want to play at Notre Dame behind that offensive line. That's what I think. Right. Absolutely. And I was going to write the article and didn't quite. And a lot of people were making the same, the same points as with an article I was going to write about. It was, is the thing is though, is, you know, and, and I'll get into this actually with some other stuff this week is, you're absolutely right about that. But on the other hand, Notre Dame's biggest need as far as competing for a national championship is a, is an elite five-star caliber quarterback it is, I think that has been the biggest missing piece when you put Notre Dame up against uh, the chances they've had over the, over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Uh, Clemson's won multiple national championships with, essentially Jags coming per recruiting rankings at the running back position. Right. I mean, Travis Etienne wasn't exactly uh, uh what was he? He was a 213. He was a 213th ranked kid. So it's not like Travis Etienne was, he was bordering closer to three star than he was five star significantly. And right. Wayne Gallman, right. That wasn't necessarily you, a highly ranked you love player. Wayne Gallman more than anybody else. I mean, he was the running back on a national of the 2016 national championship right. team, but, but those teams had Deshaun Watson and they had, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Wayne Gallman is obviously an Oakland Raider, right? Or a Vegas Raider. Uh, Wayne Gallman. Uh, I don't know who drafted him. I can, I can never remember what team decided to spend draft capital on Wayne Gallman. That was Buffalo for some reason, but yeah, you, you can never really was it remember. Really? No, it was it was the Giants <laughs> that they drafted his repl- they Jimmy Clausen him. <laughs> but I guess so. I mean, I agree with you a, a lot, Jude. That they number one, they, it, it should it was the a, Giants. It should not be such a struggle. <laughs> He's still in the way Notre Dame's offensive line is. But yet at the same time, I'm not as distraught over it as some people because I think our biggest like recruiting need win right now was that was quarterback and they got their guy. Um, now building around that, I thought it was interesting today seeing that, uh, Lorenzo styles was being considered as a five-star prospect, uh, by rivals. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think the all eggs in one basket was a bad move. Uh, it's a, it was, a, if, if Notre Dame gets this commitment, it's, it's great, right? Like this worked. this is the greatest thing. How smart were they to do this? Uh, but it didn't work. So, uh, you, there's, there's going to be some criticism over and they've known the for a month. It wasn't going to work. I mean, they weren't even yeah, having this back channel conversations with people. Thing. Here's, here's what I will say. And this is going to segue into what we're going to do the rest of the night. The 2021 Notre Dame football class is going to be one of those classes. That's going to be filled with a lot of what ifs. What if Notre Dame didn't go all in? We're, we're going to be talking about what if they didn't go all in on uh, Will Shipley? Would, would they have been able to get another running back for this class? The other one is Notre Dame went all in on Tyler Buckner, and they told J.J. McCarthy, who is the number two rated quarterback overall and the number 15, he's also a five-star. They told J.J. McCarthy, no, 
they told him no, and they went with Tyler Buckner. So moving forward, there's a much different. It's a much different reason. It is a much different reason. Going all in. But J.J. McCarthy and Tyler Buckner are – J.J. ended up committing to Michigan. Those two quarterbacks are going to be irreparably linked in Notre Dame. Ryan Mallett, Jimmy Clausen. It's going to be – Kate McNamara and uh, – never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's one of those things where Notre Dame could have had J.J. McCarthy. Mallett and Clausen were one and two or one yeah. and two coming out of high school's quarterbacks. Uh, so that was a big comparison about who was what. Um for Notre Dame JJ. fans, definitely McCarthy and, and Buckner are definitely going to be compared because of exactly that, I, especially an Illinois kid. I mean, it was, I, I don't think you're going to hear, there's not a, there is not a large contingent. And if there are, if there is anybody, it's very small that would rather have McCarthy over Buckner. I, I see a lot of things on the internet, a lot of fucking things. Oh yeah. And there's nothing uh, I've almost seen damn near nothing that would say that anyone uh, regrets Notre Dame getting the commitment from Buckner over McCarthy. Well, yeah, we say that now as neither player has played right. their senior season, right. but that's going to be one of those what ifs later on down the line that I think uh, is pretty interesting. All right, so let's get into the what ifs. So it, over at uh, SB Nation this week, it is uh, it is all about what if, and if any. And if anything, Notre Dame has a lot of what ifs. I think a lots of programs do, uh, but man, there is, uh, it's such a all encompassing topic, right? I mean, you can talk about one play, you can talk about one game, uh, you can talk about all sorts of different scenarios. And that's what we're here for tonight. Uh, talk about some of those, uh, Jude already got a, got a piece up today about, uh, a leaked Notre Dame football schedule that, uh, that never happened, or at least some of it never did. Uh, so Jude, let, let's start with you then tonight. Get and I guess the way we're going to do this, y'all, is we're just going to go around and talk about a what if. So I, I hope your uh, your mower is primed, uh, the yard is looking at you because no one's got to commute if everybody's home, but everybody has got yard work to do. Uh, so <laughs> get that mower primed, started, and let's get her going. Jude, give me a what if. Sure. The the what if I I wrote about today. Um, is is about a, a memo that was leaked on ND Nation, and um, it, you know it came from somebody who was who was in the know because um, you know when John Heisler was talked about it, he, he didn't deny that that was an that was an actual thing that they had put down on paper. Uh, he said more like, oh, well, you know, it's a working document, and some things won't come to fruition." But they had gamed out twenty oh eight to twenty twenty, so. They would have, you know, they would have, ta- they would have uh, written out all the way up to this year, which is amazing to think about where we were in 2008 versus uh, where we are uh, presently or whatever. And, and one of the things that's that's so funny about this was they had adopted this new scheduling philosophy in 2005, which you get, which everyone's probably pretty familiar with, which was just like seven home games, four road games, and one neutral site game if possible. And they want the neutral site game to be in Texas and Florida, but they also were getting cozy with the Big East Conference. Now, the Big East back then was um, Cincinnati, West Virginia, South Florida, uh, UConn. UConn, Syracuse, uh, Pitt. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, and so it's just, it's, you know, some of these teams that obviously that they played. But then the other thing that was interesting about it was Heisler says, we're going to protect our rivalries with USC, with Navy. Okay, those two make sense, with Purdue and with Michigan State. 
guess what he didn't say? We're going to protect our, uh, a rivalry with, with Michigan, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting. So you, you think about um, these, the scenarios in which they, Notre Dame is now playing basically an AC, instead of an ACC schedule, are playing a Big East schedule. And so all those times that we've played you know, North Carolina State and Virginia and Virginia Tech, we were playing instead like UConn <laughs> and at the Meadowlands or Gillette Stadium. Um, South you know, Florida. Yeah, MetLife, you know, South Florida. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just kind of funny to think of. So I gave myself the, um, the challenge of trying to actually be the athletic director and fill in this schedule as if I were trying to do it on the fly. And, and I got to be honest with you, it gets really hard because um, some, you know, the places that they had some things, if you take it at face value and you say to yourself, okay, this can't be moved. We have to play Connecticut on the weekend that it's written in stone that we're going to play Connecticut. And you can't play Connecticut at any other week, um, and, you know, and yet you're still trying to fit in Purdue's and, and Navy's and and uh, and USC's and, and everything. So it's it's been kind of a, a fun challenge. And I I've gotten all the way up to, I think, 2016. Uh, t- today's article is only about the first three years, tw- 2008, uh, 2009 and, and 2010. But I think I've got all the way up to 2016. And I think in 2014, I ended up having to change. um like seven or eight Pac-12 teams to accommodate uh, moving Notre Dame's USC game to from one week from like mid-October, like the the week before break to the week after break. Uh, so it just it it just goes to show you that um, these things are not done in a vacuum. This is actually really hard to do, and that's why they you know game plan this out several years in advance. And I also think you know once you read the the entire series that you'll realize that this would not have been as fun. Um, to play all these kind of teams because a lot of these teams, Rutgers, uh, not having very good years, putting Rutgers on, you know, in a a consistent rotation is not good for Notre Dame. Um, and so one of the things that stood out, one of the things that stood out to me quite a bit when I was reading this, uh, Jude was like where you had Rutgers slotted at in 2010, it was what the Utah game was. And, And we've talked about it many times on here about what that 2010 Utah team game meant to the Notre Dame team down the stretch and, and, and how it changed uh, the season for them at, you know, after Tulsa. Right. So if that would have been Rutgers, that, that, that whole narrative is different. The whole feel of that program uh, is different. It's not a ranked a Rutgers team in 2010, right? No, it's a, no. it's, it's a very terrible Rutgers team. Yeah. It's so. not top 15 Utah, right? Right. All right. So, yeah, and, and it's, it, you know, it's hard, right? So I'm, I'm trying to play a little bit of athletic director, but I'm also trying to play a little bit of uh, Nostradamus and trying to tell you who I think would win the game or whatever and just see if the, if the pass would have been different. Now, Notre Dame picks up a couple of wins along the way, obviously, because you're playing lesser Big East competition. But, um, you know, I've got one tomorrow that I think people will be interested in, it, and it's specifically about this uh, 2012. Uh, they had Baylor on the original schedule, and I just think that would have been uh, very interesting to play Baylor during the regular season because uh, obviously with Baylor uh, derailing the dreams of Kansas State um, and our national know. championship and our dreams uh, to right. boot. So, uh, so I talk about that a little bit uh, in our in our next installment, which I hope to have out tomorrow. So um, that's the what if that I'm pursuing. But there, I mean, we're going to go around here. I, I think there's there's plenty uh, of what ifs to talk about. I just 
I've talked about the Urban Meyer one a, a zillion and six times. This one, I think people just kind of forgot about because again, schedules are schedules. They, they change, you know, things get moved around all the time. Um, games that we commit to, uh, in 2017, we don't end up playing by 2021 when they're supposed to happen. So, you know, um, I just, I kind of liked, uh, you know, revisiting this little topic. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, it's fascinating to me. Uh, I, I just want to say again, like just anything that has to do with schedule movement uh, is fascinating because the schedule, especially in college football, dictate your whole season. Uh, we've seen that time and time again, the way schedules break, how it affects uh, wins and losses and then how yours, you know, eventually how your season uh, happens. So, yeah, this was uh, I'm I'm really into this one, Jude. Yeah, and the, <laughs> I, I was excited. I saw, excited to see part two in the uh, in the editor get worked on. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, the other thing I mentioned was things outside of football happen too, right? And and so I can't. You know, it, it would be hard for me to say, oh, this person doesn't get hurt, and therefore they have this person, and therefore they're a better team for this or whatever. But the right. one thing I I did notice was that um, they could move that Tulsa game, and the the reason that moving that Tulsa game might be significant was. I actually looked up their practice schedule um, for their their typical practice schedule for 2010 and actually found out that they don't practice on a bye week on, I think it was a Wednesday that Declan Sullivan died. And so I have it in the article. And so, you know, I allow myself the, the idea to think, you know, what, you know, think about how something as innocuous as scheduling a game for this week instead of that week and having this bye week instead of this week um, affected when they were practicing, you know, and you could say, Oh, they shouldn't have practiced outside that day. And we could, we could relitigate that whole thing. But I just, I just thought about that for a second too, which was like, wow. Um, you know, moving this game not only has consequences on the season, but it has consequences on probably, you know, possibly on a, on a, a young man's life. So, um, that was, to me, that was kind of interesting to, to think about as well. So. Yeah, you were talking about a deep rabbit hole. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this is me. I, I do deep rabbit holes. Uh, <laughs> if you read my if you read my Jerry Faust story uh, last week, you realized that you know that was something that was literally uh, two weeks and probably two dozen emails and a phone call to an eighty four year old former coach. Um, you know, which turned out to be a really uh, exciting thing, and I I bored my wife to tears with the daily updates, but. Uh, I, I was super into it. So I, I just like, I like writing about things that aren't well covered on the internet. And, um, I think there's been a lot of good articles where I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, but I think there's a lot, been a lot of good articles about what would have happened if urban Meyer had become our coach instead of, um, you know, after Ty Willingham or, I'm you know, not so the, sure that the uh, sporting news one was all that good. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, it was at least interesting to think about, you know, Ron Dane. It, it was, it was interesting. Uh, the, he really got detailed about what he thought was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Very detailed. Yeah. So uh, I, did you go ahead. Oh, so I just, I was just going to say, uh, that seems like well tra- traveled, you know, thing. And I'm sure we'll talk about it tonight, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I don't think anybody ever, I don't think anybody ever really talks about schedules, uh, especially st- stuff that gets moved. Uh, I wrote an article again, not to, to, to belabor this point, but I wrote an article maybe about a month ago about, the fact that Penn State leaving uh, and joining the Big Ten was actually caused them to call up Notre Dame and ask, beg off the schedule for 93, which Notre Dame was happy to do because they had gotten this uh, 
enticement from the Citrus Bowl to play down Florida State down there, and so they ended up doing a home and home and home and neutral with uh, Florida State, which became the game of the century. So this kind of stuff out always uh, really interests me. All right, Brandon, you got the pop us with a what if. Yeah, so this one I asked my wife, uh, my wife, um, over <laughs> dinner tonight because I, I I mentioned what we were going to talk about, and she just like this: What if Kevin White never gave Charlie Weiss an extension, a ten-year lifetime contract extension after losing a football game in two thousand and five? What if Charlie Weiss never was offered or got a 10-year extension and he just carried on with his regular contract and 2007 happens? Does he get fired after 2007 if there isn't this albatross of an enormous contract hanging over his head? No. Does he get fired after a disastrous 2008? Because they didn't give Tyrone Willingham three years. So that is an absolute no for me. 2008 is a maybe. 2007 is – one of the worst football seasons in Notre Dame history. No, I totally I get think it. it's the worst. It is probably, but, but it I, probably is the worst besides Paul Horning's uh, Heisman trophy. I was going to say they went two at eight one year. So. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Other right. than a uh, Heisman trophy winner. I guess uh, I'm definitely with you on this. I just think that 2008, he's got too much capital. He's got too much capital from 05 and 06 and 2007, whether it's right or wrong, you can blame on Willingham's lack of recruiting. Yeah. Uh, you know, for your senior depth, it was a young team, uh, and so I think you could move past 2007. And I think definitely with an athletic director like um, I, Kevin White. You know, I guess we're still we're still Kevin White then, but I I think 2008. Well, 2008 then you win a bowl game, right? 2008 though you lose to USC 38 to three in maybe the worst game of football Notre Dame has played that 2008 still, game. They, they, they you, take still the bowl, field you still break the bowl. <laughs> I don't know. If they, I, you do, but I don't know if he's the coach for that bowl game. Do you remember now? What was your favorite first down in the first oh, half no. of the Boston college game that season? Because they didn't have one. No, right. The, the North Carolina debacle just, and just, just oh. it out. Explain it out as far as 05 was a fantastic year. Um, 06 was a disappointment, but still you won 10 games. 07, again, the same argument, what we just said. 08, you won a bowl game. I, I just feel that I, I, I'm, a, I'm a no on 07, uh, maybe on 08, uh, but I just think it plays out the exact same. The, the greatest thing, though, without a contract extension, you know what that means, though. We don't have these fucking Notre Dame yeah, just paid story. Charlie White stories yeah. every year for a decade, uh, you know, after that, which is yeah. which is one of the shittiest things I have to go through <laughs> every summer was the uh, the three or four stories out there from non-ND outlets about Notre Dame paying Charlie Weiss. But if they because he was on the hot seat, Nate. But part of the thing, they couldn't fire him in eight. And if they were willing to fire Ty after 2002, and then they gave him three and four, and they were like, get out of here, Ty. But, but I, Ty had more reasons to just, I mean. Yeah, there, there was the recruiting aspect, too. But they could have brought in Dan Mullen. Into, why wouldn't they have brought in Dan Mullen, who ended well, up taking the Mississippi State gig that year after successfully being the, the D.C. down at um, 
Florida State or at Florida under Urban Meyer. When did Jack when did Jack become the AD? 2009. 2009. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, oh, yeah I nine. just I feel Kelly. Right. So yeah. but I mean there would there would have been the same Dan thing. I Mullen think the exact same and, thing happens. I think the exact same thing happens. We just lack a the whole Charlie Weiss drag it out getting paid thing. I also want to interject because I've been reading, I've been reading the, I just finished the golden dream, which is Jerry Faust's autobiography because I'm going to Jerry Faust kick. And obviously like we talk about Tyrone Willingham, but that, that broke a, a, a tradition. And the tradition yeah. was that Notre Dame gave their coaches five-year contracts and they saw those contracts out. And there's a extended discussion that they go to Jerry before his fourth year. And they say to him, Jerry, you got to win more. And then the fifth year, they say to him, basically, like, Jerry, you don't take us to the national championship. Like, you're gone. And like, you know, but they were still going to like they st- they said to him, you know, you can resign and we'll support you or whatever. But they still were going to honor that five years. And so I know that they broke that tradition with Ty, but I, I still think that there was some sort of we got to give this guy a chance. And I I'd agree, I think, with Josh on this, which is like the wheels were coming off after Ty. Like, if you take away eight, no, I mean, the remainder is it's just, it's terrible. Um, whereas Weiss was on the upward swing for two years and then had possibly an outlier season in 2007. And then, you know, it's weird to say, well, he rebounded from, from three and nine, um, to, to seven and six or whatever, because that wasn't great. But I still think I, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I still think because of the timing with Swarbrick coming in at 2009 and, and, you know, and, and what Weiss had done for 2005 and six, I, I agree with Josh. I still think that he gets that 2009 season, um, with, without the contract extension. I think that again, agreeing with Josh, the only difference is just that awful, awful story when the 990 comes out and, and it just mentions, you know, how long have they been paying <laughs> Charlie Weiss? Uh, because you know what, to be honest with you, they paid Tyrone Willingham $650,000 for years after, uh, he left um, to the point where he almost made, I think it was $10 million off of, off of Notre Dame. But a lot of it happened after he was fired. But it just wasn't a thing that people, that people, that I don't recall people reporting on. But that was the thing. It was like they paid him, they, they paid him after he went away. And so they did, they did sort of the same thing with, with Willingham. It just was on a smaller dollar figure. Hey, Jude. Well, with Willingham, too, the biggest stories were, um, and not to get too, but I mean, the biggest stories were race, right? Uh, because yeah, that's right. what the, Will Bond. you know, because, because it first African-American head coach, uh, it was the first time Notre Dame didn't honor that five year first contract. And, and rightfully so. I mean, Notre Dame had every right to fucking can Tyron Willingham, who, by the way, had a foot out the door anyways for Washington. There's no question about that. But the, the, because it's Notre Dame, because of the national narrative, the national, the, the, the spotlight, the entire scope of the whole story was based off of the race. So after that, I, it's almost like people didn't give a fuck. They they were still they were still looking back at at that as you know as a you know predominantly white Catholic school um, doing wrong to a to a black head coach. And that was the story. The payments were you know were way down the line with right. Weiss it, because of the way they they did the contract. After a loss of all things, you give him this massive contract extension. That was the story. He lost it. He still got a ton of money. So once Weiss was gone, that was that was what they were 
you know, and rightfully so, Weiss was gone. That's what they were going to write about was the payments. All right. Here's the thing, though, and this is this is my thing with 2008, is you were judged as a college football coach by how you perform against your rivals. And against USC in 2008, Notre Dame did not get a first down in the football game, in the entire football game, until 14 minutes or 13 minutes and or 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter. James Aldridge ran for 16 yards against USD for a first down. That was the first first down that Notre Dame had. Their drive chart was three yards, five play interception, three yards, eight yards, punt, three yards, eight yards, punt, three yards, three plays, three yards, punt, one yard, one play interception, three yard, three plays, negative six yards, punt, three plays, negative 19 yards, punt, end of half, one yard, three yard, one play, three yards. Then they open the half with a three play, six yard drive, then a three play, two yard punt drive, and then a three play, two yard punt before finally in the third quarter, fourth quarter, they were able to get their first first down against the backups of USC when the game was 31 to nothing. And the previous year, they lost to USC 38 to zero. And then in 2006, they lost to USC 44 to 24. That is unacceptable for a head coach at Notre Dame and any athletic director worth his salt should have and would have fired him after four years if you've lost to your rivals in such a disgusting manner. I don't understand how Charlie Weiss kept his job after 2008 after just an absolutely embarrassing performance against USC to end the season. It was the most embarrassing performance by a Notre Dame football team, more so than anything they did in 2007. It was just absolutely lifeless in 2008. It was disgusting. He should have been fired. And they could have had Dan Mullen, and Dan Mullen is now very successful um, as the Florida coach. And he was, I guess, okay at Mississippi State, but I don't know. Uh, do you think landing Manti Teo had anything to do with? <sighs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that probably did because that, that bought him 2009. But Manti was still just a sophomore, still just a baby, right? All right, I agree with why he should have been, but here's the reason why they didn't, okay? Notre Dame is bigger than just, for Notre Dame it's bigger than just the one game against USC. Absolutely. Look at the look at their whole schedule there. Michigan, they beat them 35-17. They lost to Michigan State, which was nothing which was nothing new, it was a Michigan State problem. You, you beat Purdue, you beat Stanford. Uh you lost your fourth you, biggest you rival pit. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is you beat Michigan, you beat Purdue. It, 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 it does not cancel out USC, but Notre Dame is always bigger than just what their what the coach does against USC in, in that respect. Yeah. Add to the fact the Manti Teo situation. Add to the fact that Notre Dame. I, you have to remember that bowl record against them was fucking a massive dark cloud that hung over them. So yeah. if they fire him after USC, it is very it is very much up in the air about either a, if they even decide to go to a bowl game or B how the team would react in the bowl game that they actually need to fucking win because they need to stop that streak. So I agree with you that he should have been uh, no question. I, I believe that he should have been fired after 08, but for Notre Dame, this does not, it did not shock me one bit. And I just never would think that they would after the 08 season. There was improvement from the year before. 
what, what even if it was small, it was improvement. You had a sophomore quarterback. You, you showed some flashes, and you're, you're trying to get rid of this this stupid ass bowl losing streak. And at the time, too, USC was ranked fifth when Notre Dame played them. So saying that Notre Dame was going to go out to Los Angeles uh, and, and beat the fifth ranked USC Trojans, this is, that wasn't going to happen. So I and I think they're very level headed in that sense, whether it's not as uh, it's not as cutthroat as like at Ohio State, uh, for example, or or Michigan even uh, when it comes down to that one game and how you do a, how you do against that. Uh, I, mean, I, I just think they looked at it as the whole scope. I agree with you that they should have, but I it, totally understand why they didn't. I mean, Navy in 2008 had the football after recovering an onside kick with a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter, they had it inside the Notre Dame 35 yard line with 30 seconds to go. Lou Holtz needed Ivory, Ivory Covington uh, to stop. I know, but it would have been party. like Bob Davey I mean, needed Alan Rossum. But yeah, I, I he, mean, it, it would have been a it's, second it's straight loss to Navy. A, the close Navy win is a tradition. Yeah, but that's the year <laughs> after it's, you it's lost happen. to Navy and broke it. Right? Oh, no, I get it. I mean, trust me, I get it. Uh, but I mean, in that case, I mean, Brian Kelly's still here, sure <laughs> uh, you know, a decade later. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, they had every right to fire Charlie Weiss after the 08 season. Uh, but you know, I just, I, there's no way that I see Notre Dame doing that just based off of everything we know about Notre Dame and, and the way they operate. All right. I got one for you. It's a little trickier because <clears throat> I mean, what can I say? I'm fucking me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so let, let's take it back to 2016. And, and I think a lot of the, a lot of what ifs when we talk about schedules or think we're, we'll talk about, you know, like one, talk about one player, one game. Uh, I'm going to throw a couple games into this mix. So just, just hear me out. Even if it's, Somewhat complicated. Maybe it's not. I'll, I'll simply lay this out. Notre Dame beats Texas. Uh, in, you know, in Texas, that was a 50-47 loss at the time. So Notre Dame winning that game, that's not too out of bounds. They, they could have won that game. Uh, you, you play Nevada, you win that game. Michigan State, they had a chance to win that game. They, they, they were they were getting hit in the mouth pretty hard, but still had a chance uh, to win that football game. And then Duke comes to the town. Uh, and you should have won that football game. So there, there's three losses right there that sh- that could have been and, and possibly should have been wins. So your next game, you, you blow out Syracuse. What happened after the Duke, though, is that Notre Dame fired Brian Van Gorder, possibly the greatest coaching move uh, in the Brian Kelly era. It wasn't a hire. It was a fire. You finally cut out the fucking disease. If Notre Dame runs up to Syracuse with those wins. So they're five and zero. Oh. they're not firing Brian Van Gorder. Even if the rest of the season plays out the exact same, losing to NC state, throwing a thousand times in, the, in a hurricane, <laughs> uh, <laughs> losing to Stanford in a game. You should have won on, you know, that one as well. Losing to fucking Navy, uh, and losing to Virginia tech, uh, and then losing to USC. Does Notre Dame fire Brian Van Gorder after the 2016 season? If they start out five and zero, absolutely. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Here's my proof. Here's my proof. Brandon Wimbush and Chip Long. Okay. So Brian Kelly has twice done something that he's felt like he's needed to do and times when the team was winning and you could have otherwise justified looking the other way. And that's replacing Brandon Wimbush after they started three and in 2018 and firing Chip Long after the, after the 2019 season, right? There's not, there's nothing about Chip Long's offense on 2019, that was a fireable offense. There was something wrong with Chip Long's demeanor, right? And but so, both those incidents, Jude, mm-hmm. are after fire are after 2016. At that time, though, does Brian Kelly have? I, does I, he I, have that in his in his arsenal? I think, I think so Dude. because I think if you're I think if you're still Brian Van Gorder and you're giving up 35 points a game and you're and it's like Hard Attack City where you're you're five and zero, but you 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 could have just as easily been uh, two and three or one and four. Um, I, I think there's a change that gets made and, and to be honest with you, I think it happens at the end of the season. Um, you know, especially if they play out with another, like a disappointing year, even, especially after starting five and oh, if they end up like eight and five, I mean, how what, many points does USC score against the BVG offense in 20, 2016? Cause they scored 45. Uh, how much do they score against BVG? It's like sixty spot. I don't know. I mean, that, I mean, that, well, that was the they, game that they played. It. They uh, played it. Seek called well, off the dogs anyway. Yeah, they called off the dogs. We know this answer. They played a BVG offense or defense in 2014 and put up 49 on them. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think there's. I don't that think was one that had Jalen Smith. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's much to be, to be thought about here. So I, I like I like it. It's it's fun to think about, but I. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving Brian Kelly too much credit because maybe Brian Ke- and Brian Kelly needed to be 2.0 before he did stuff like this. But, um, you know, I certainly don't think this would have been an easy decision for him because am I right in thinking that Brian, well, first of all, Brian Van Gorder and him go back way a long time. I don't know if he's one of the wedding party guys, but, um, what's Josh in your scenario, what's their record? What's their record at the end of the season? Well, I mean, I, I just changed three losses into wins, right? So, so there's seven else five. Yes. So they're seven of five. They go to a bowl game. Um, I mean, so I mean, did they win the pinstripe? Did they win the pinstripe bowl? Massive changes after that season. I mean, does Brian Kelly still do all the changes? Ooh, that's a good. I mean, that was a that was a come to Jesus moment after that season. I would argue the 2016 season was as important to Brian Kelly's coaching career as any he's ever had. Maybe the most important season. 2016, I I feel is more important than 2012. I agree with that sentiment. In the in, in the sense that it has affected Notre Dame football more. You know, what 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 is? I mean, I I guess maybe recency bias, but I mean, what has affected Notre Dame football more? The 2012 undefeated season where you get your ass kicked by Alabama, or the 2016 season where you went fucking four and eight and then had to change your entire staff out. 2012 is just Rocky Balboa getting knocked out by Apollo Creed and Rocky one. 2016 is what really set up Rocky Balboa to be the champion no, that he truly ended up wait, being wait a in second. Two, no, in, no. when he lost to Clubber Lane. So you're saying, no, no, you're no. saying Apollo, Creed is, and Rocky, saying, Apollo Creed and Rocky fought to almost – it was almost a fair fight in the first movie. That, that's not that a good analogy. Lost. I'm saying that he lost. And if but we're judging losses, I'm saying – it wasn't about losing. It was about it was about being outclassed on the field. I mean, I think that that's the whole thing, right? Well, yeah, because I think even outclassed. Brian Brian says, "Look, we weren't ready for for 
you know, Alabama. It's clear in retrospect we weren't ready for Alabama. This is, you know, paraphrasing here. These aren't exact words. They tried really hard. They were a team that tried really hard and came up. And it was a real rocky story in 2012. In 2016, it was more just like a Clubber Lane beatdown. They were fat and sassy. Clubber Lane showed up. And that 16th season was just Clubber Lane just beating their fucking ass. Right? Do you, do you agree with Brennan and I, or do you think that 2012 has affected Notre Dame more than 2016? No, no, no. I, I don't want to go that far. I don't want, but I don't want to diminish what 2012, I think, did to that, 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 you know, I think Kelly saw the light there and that his guys weren't ready physically condition wise to compete. And it did take him a little time because I don't think he gets rid of Longo until after the 2016 season, if I recall correctly. Um, but so I, I would say 2016 had more bearing than, than 2012. But I don't believe that you can say 2012 had no impact. 2012 had, a, an, I think, a, had a, a significant impact in terms of, you know, Kelly going to bat for some of the things that he knows that the program needs and using his using his voice and his leverage a little bit better um, and using that championship to say, look, I'm close, but I need these things. You know, I need an indoor practice facility that where you can actually punt to the ceiling. Uh, I need a training table. I need I need better academic space. You know what I mean? Like all the things that we've talked about since 2012. So I don't want to diminish that. But no, I, I think I agree with the majority here, which is 2016 was super important for the evolution of wherever we are. Brian Kelly 3.0 or 2.0, depending on your point of view. I mean, here's the thing I'm, I'm just going to drop down there is did Brian Kelly start doing yoga after 2012? No, he stopped. He started doing yoga after 2016, which would be the equivalent of the beach running scene with uh, Apollo you're, Creed in you're order trying to get back. Way too hard on this, man. I, I I watch all the Rocky movies too, but this is this is not happening. There's, Brian there's Kelly got in parallels. the best shape of his life. There's not uh, Rocky parallels here. Josh, did we lose you, buddy? Yeah. No, I'm I'm here, man. <laughs> I, I, I got earbud problems. Okay. Uh, but, but no, I heard uh, pretty much everything there. All right. But again, good, uh, you know, something interesting to think about in terms of uh, a different spin on the Brian Van Gorder 2016 than we typically think of in terms of what ifs. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, so let's, let's move on to another one, Jude. Give me another what if. Okay. I want to go a little bit more micro here. Um, you know, I, I think we talk about things that, um, you know, change the season. And I, I think eventually we'll probably get into to Florida state 2014 or Malik Zaire getting injured in, in Virginia. But I want to talk about two thunderstorm delays, um, in the 2011 <laughs> South Florida game. I, Do you really, you really want to talk about this game? Yeah. I, I just like this game is <laughs> So weird to me because first of all, that Florida South Florida team ends up like five and seven. So they're trash. They're actually trash. Um, and so this yeah, is a, what's the 2007 uh, ranked number two at one point South Florida team. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think this was a very winnable game. And, and this one bothers me in a way that I'll never be able to shake this game and the Northwestern game for the same the same exact reasons, which is like. Well, Northwestern was like they were salt. They were literally salting the game away. And then a guy who really never fumbles fumbled. Right. And so this one, this one had the this this one was like Virginia Tech 2019. If Virginia Tech, if Ian Book hadn't run it in with 20 seconds left. Right. And that was the feeling I had when that fumble happened. Yeah. Virginia Tech. And, and 
you know, I think it's Dan Hicks that says, uh, talk about a deflator, right? Like the idea that you go like this, um, I don't know, Josh, explain that formation that they lined up in with, uh, uh, Carlo Calabrese, right. Was in the backfield. Yeah. Which was like, like at that moment when I saw Calabrese lining up at fullback, I don't think I could have been prouder Notre Dame at that, uh, at that point. Um, and then obviously then, you know, worlds come crashing down, uh, within moments, uh, right after that. So yeah, they were, they were in a power, I, they were in a power formation and, uh, it didn't quite work out. I mean, not only did it not, did it not work out, but it, it was like that Virginia, Virginia tech thing where it's like, you go from, okay, guaranteed six points, probably seven to, right. oh my God, what the frick just happened. And then you add in the ball going off of TJ Jones's shoulder pad and becoming an interception and just, just the weird, like, and, and then when Notre, Dame, when Notre Dame's kind of getting back into the game, having this to, to do the, what I think it was a three hour, uh, thunderstorm delay the first time and then i think the second one was maybe an hour but it was just like there was just everything the life had been sucked out of that place because literally nobody was around to watch the end of that stupid game because notre dame was losing the whole time here's the thing and it was here's the thing by the by the time the game was over notre dame had amassed 508 yards to south florida's 254 notre dame had was literally doubled their asses up in yards so yeah. yard points for the win. I think Notre Dame, football, had, Notre Dame had four fumbles. They had five turnovers overall. overall. Four of them were fumbles. Um, or, excuse me, two of them were fumbles. Uh, but they had fumbled four times in that game. I mean, it was a sloppy as fuck game. It's, it is the Purple BK game. I mean, this it, is, is the, it is the Purple BK game, yeah. This is this is why that happened. Uh, and, you know, how, how can you blame Brian Kelly for losing his absolute shit? I mean, when... I mean, is this Brian Kelly? Is it is what's going on? Brian Kelly's fallen out there. I, yeah. No, that it's not. You could blame Brian Kelly for some coaching decisions, you know, here and there, but the way his team played. Now you, you know, you could be, well, the way they practice. Fuck you. Uh, the guy's got to perform on the field. It's Notre Dame versus South Florida. Play, Being- you know, you got to play up to your ability. But to double him up on yards like that, you're moving up and down the foot, but you just keep. Turning the ball over, turning the ball over, and yes, that that and that's why the Virginia Tech 2019 parallel was was right there, because again, uh, Virginia Tech had 80 yards of offense at halftime in 2019 against Notre Dame, and yet that more for time. I mean, it just that was the feeling. Like, so here, I, I wanna, here we I go. Make- I want to make two points here, which was Bill Connolly did a retrospective uh, advanced box score for this game and South Florida's win expectancy. Does anybody want to guess what their win expectancy for this game was? 22%. Less than that, 15%? 0. 0.1%. <laughs> yeah. 0.1%. I mean, talk, Dean Chris. Talk about a, the talk about a whole supply of the odds. Yeah. Okay. Dean Chris was throwing footballs and it looked like he was skipping stones with um, Andy Williams in the the <laughs> just like more than BJ Daniels had throws of more than five yards. I don't think I don't think BJ Daniels in that game threw a pass that traveled more than like six yards downfield. And Dane Chris is out there just skipping stones to TJ Jones. So here, here's the other thing is um, I think that there really hasn't been a, a the definitive story written about 
the psychological impact of the 2011 Michigan game on the typical Notre Dame fan. I think a lot of our neuroses, um, are a lot of our, there's too much time left, feelings of dread, a lot of our just general depression. I've heard multiple people talk about how this game like broke their brain. And I think that USF losing the USF game, the way that they lost the USF game sets you up perfectly for this weirdness that then transpires with the 24 to seven league going into the fourth quarter at Michigan under the lights, you know, cool ass jerseys, et cetera, et cetera, to start the season. zero and two in the most weird way possible where you're thinking to yourself, this team very well could have been two and zero, and they just, it feels like this is like they, 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 they touched the monkey paw or something. You know what I mean? Like this is cursed. This is, this is bad. Are monkey paws cursed? They sure are. And the fingers close. Cause when you, you have a cursed monkey paw and you make that wish and then you see that finger just creak closed and then you get your wish, but there's always something that there's always something bad. There's always something bad comes with it. Like, Oh, I wish my grandfather was here to celebrate my birthday. And your grandfather died like 15 years ago and the monkey <laughs> finger closes and you hear like I, a shambling sound and a knock on the door. And you're like, Oh shit. I am going to do the uh, Dan Rubenstein and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you Notre Dame's drive uh, chart results oh, uh, for the South Florida game. All right? Yeah. Uh, fumble, return for touchdown. Punt. Punt. Interception. Punt. 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 Interception. Passing touchdown. Field goal missed. Rushing oh, touchdown. Interception. Passing touchdown. That was it. Well, the good news is... End of game. The good that, news that, is that uh, missed field goal would have had no bearing in the the end result of the football game, right? <laughs> no, what was the final score? Twenty-three twenty. Oh no! Oh no! And in case you 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 had forgotten, Notre Dame had gone down, uh, you know, sixteen nothing at halftime. Yeah. Uh, but so they they come out firing. Uh, and I forget the exact time placements of the delays, but we'll just say come out firing third quarter. Uh, so it's uh, it touchdown with seven with seven minutes left, um, and then in the third quarter, the, the fourth quarter after South Florida scores a touchdown, uh, Notre Dame scores two touchdowns, uh, but one of those was a two point conversion uh, failed attempt on, on one of those, uh, and then a um, uh, or wait. So right. Reese, uh, Reese opens yes, the half yes. with the pick off of <laughs> the off of the shoulder pad. Yes, yes, that's that's purple Kelly. Yeah, that's, that's purple, purple Kelly. Kelly. That's purple Kelly, and then they score I mean, a touchdown, I, I, and then they drive miss. chart. That drive chart says it all. I mean, my God, that was a eighty. That was an eight play seventy. I mean, Notre Dame was rolling. Just in that first drive, this is how it went down. Uh, pass to Sierra Woods for thirty-one yards. Jonas Gray, one-yard rush. Uh, Chris passed to Floyd for 26 yards. Wood rushed for nine. Wood rushed for six. Wood rushed for five. Wood rushed for one. Jonas Gray, fumble. 96 yards the other way. Uh, Macon Banani, is that his name? No, no, that was the kicker. Uh, who, who was the linebacker that uh, that scored that damn thing? Oh, Young. Yeah, Darrell no, Young. No, 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 no. Um, Webster. Kayvon Webster. Yeah, Kayvon Webster. Webster. Yeah. Yeah, Darrell Young was the one who forced it, right? Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. So <laughs> all luminaries of the NFL. I mean, uh, this is their starters. It's all ridiculousness. That whole game was like, I, I'm not sure. If, I mean, what's more ridiculous, this game or the 2016 NC State game? 2016 NC State. Oh, yeah. That's weird. Because the, there's no reason to be throwing in a monsoon like that. And I'm just glad that that 2016 game taught Brian Kelly, do not throw in a monsoon. And from that day forth, he never did. <laughs> I guess you slept through that Michigan game this year. So. <laughs> oh, shit. Man, what, what memories? So, so think about, I just, to close this, to close this loop, think about what a 10 and three 2011 team would be versus an eight and five team. That's all the difference in the world. How does that? Yeah. How does that change your perception? Well, well I would see say here. that the team would be so good that they might play for a national championship the next year. <laughs> well, I mean, well, let me ask you this: you know, if they win that game, I mean, that's you got to imagine how big of a deflator that is. You're, I mean, rank 16th, you go up to Michigan, then 2011. We all know what what happened there. You lose 35-31. Is there any kind of transitive magic if, if Notre Dame beats South Florida? Let's just let's just say yeah. this game. Let's just say the game goes chalk, right? Let's say Notre Dame wins like thirty, th- yeah, like thirty-three ten or some shit like that, you know, or thirty-three seventeen, or thirty-one seventeen. I guess we'll just say that's a, that's a good football score. Do they? Does that somehow translate? Help translate into a win uh, under the lights against Michigan? I mean, yeah. God, I I want to believe that. Yes, I think so. Because if that's the case, then they're undefeated uh, going into the USC game, which. Look, that was the year Notre Dame. That that was the game. Notre Dame changed over to the new helmets. It was yeah. a a massive recruiting crazy weekend. Train. Also, crazy, crazy train. Also, a crazy, crazy train. Also, it was the also the last. Game. It was also yeah. the last game that Wes and I attended together. Uh, <laughs> we sat right next to the USC band, uh, and we hate that. each other for it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah the so I mean, you know, it, you know that after that game, does that game? I mean, that was a yeah, the Dane Chris fumble. Uh, then after that, you know, they go on a tear Navy, Wake Forest, uh, Maryland, BC. Uh, they don't lose again until uh, that weird, weird game out in Palo Alto uh, with Andrew Hendricks at quarterback. Mm. I, the one thing I would say is far, it wouldn't have had much of an impact on 2012. But what I think that if they did come out of those two games, I think the larger impact is the momentum in recruiting certainly changes significantly. And I think that it actually would have played pretty nice for the, perhaps they close out that season recruiting a little bit. Uh, They've actually finished the 2011 season pretty well, but perhaps they were able to get a bigger name um, wide receiver to join that. And I I think they desperately needed. I won't dive too far down because that's a little more research than we got time for right now. But I mean, maybe not, but, you know, if they win one or both of those games, South Florida, Michigan, you know, say they they don't play in the Champ Sports Bowl, now known right. as the Camping World Bowl, against yeah. Florida State, uh, which a game they lost. It was a which is another weird, uh, terrible game to watch. Eighteen uh, fourteen loss. You know, so they go to another bowl game, play another opponent. You know, is that do they pull one out? I mean, I'm, I don't yeah. even know what game that 
would have been available to him. Um, Gator Bowler. Oh, I think that actually that chance for it was the Gator. Well, I'm, I'm officially saying to the one foot down staff who I know listens to all of our podcasts that if they want to write the definitive what would have happened if we won the first two games of 2011 instead of, the last, instead of losing those two games, I would definitely read the shit out of that story because uh, I would love to know who we would play in some uh, – well, I guess it would have been a BCS Bowl back then, right? Yeah, probably would have no, been 9-3. I mean, yeah, your two losses were to would have been to USC and then the number four ranked Stanford team. Right. They were ranked 22 playing Stanford, even with those three losses. So you, you take two of those out. I mean, I'd, I'd say they're probably, you know, 10th or 11th, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if they're, they're undefeated going in to week seven, they lose 31, 17, which is a, I mean, that, that's not a terrible score uh, no. against a rival. Um, I mean, it was a terrible way they've lost the game, but I mean, uh, and then you go off and you rattle, uh, was it four more, four more wins off before you go to Stanford? I mean, that, that could be a number four versus number 10, number nine, maybe even. And who's to say they lose to USC if they win those two well, games? I mean, I, Is the confidence in Re- does Reese have more confidence in that game? I changed they don't three play? losses into wins in the 2016 discussion. I, I wasn't going to be <laughs> Teen as a do it again for 2011. I mean, uh, two, just, two, two was my calling card there with a possibility of a different bowl outcome because it'd be a different bowl game. The psyche <laughs> of the football team would have been significantly better for sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right, Brendan, what's uh, what's what on your plate? So, I, I mean, there's obviously some low hanging fruit uh, that I can certainly reach for. Um, the, the pretty big ones are, you know, what if, uh, urban's flight lands in South Bend and doesn't make its way to, um, you know, Gainesville. And that's, I mean, that's all pretty stock standard stuff. Um, the one I've been floating about, and I've been thinking about writing something about this one is what if the 2012 and 13 recruiting classes, the, the 11, 12 and 13 recruiting classes decided to stay together and that Notre Dame kept all of the kids signed and in-house for that 2014 season. So the 2014 season was a bullshit play against uh, Florida State away from being probably in the the inaugural college football playoff rankings. And then injuries sort of derailed the rest of the season and Everett Colson sort of collapsed into a um, you know a cavalcade of, of interceptions and fumbles. But what if Gunnar Keel's on that roster? And Gunnar Keel certainly didn't end up developing into anything later on. But what if he was able to start the 2013 season and won the starting gig? He certainly has a different career trajectory, or at least he's taking snaps that Andrew Hendricks is having against USC, and we don't have to suffer through the second half of that 2013 USC game. Right. Well, I mean, um, more importantly, what if what if uh, Aaron Lynch is on that what roster? What if Aaron Lynch is on that uh, roster and Pariah or not? post 2011 if he's still on the roster i would imagine that he's had a come to jesus moment and perhaps has become more of a teammate what if eddie vanderdose's grandma doesn't get sick god rest her soul and eddie vanderdose honors his commitment and stays at notre dame's roster and eddie vanderdose is a part of that 2014 defense that sacked you um, you know florida state 147 times seemingly what if t shepherd pans out what if his cousin deontay greenberry actually uh comes to notre dame instead of houston right the last minute and then we have um, Deontay Greenberry, who absolutely would have been a burner for that 2014 team, you know, with Will yeah, Fuller over there as he well. Have, he would have had a big name. He would have had, had a, a big name. He would have had a huge. And then I, 
yeah, so you look at up and down the the kids that were committed because that 2013 signing class was Brian Kelly's best, right? It was the number five ranked school. Right. It was laden with talent and most of the that, players. That's, that, and that's your class with Jalen Smith, Max Redfield, Greg Bryant, Torian Folson, Isaac Rochelle, uh, Malik Zaire, Cole Luke, um, Torian Hunter Jr., that's uh, what Will you Fuller get. is in that class. That's what you get for Will going Fuller, to a by national the way, is a four Frank star. Bryant was in that. Yeah, that's what you get for going to a national title game. Corey Robinson, three star. And it's just, yeah, and and you just you look at some of the things that that were in yeah, place. I mean, it was it was Notre Dame's win over Oklahoma that uh, I think most people felt helped sway Greg Bryant. Right. Into, and what's uh, Devontae? What's Devontae Neal? What's Devontae Neal on Notre Dame? He was a two thousand. He was a two thousand. Well, he was a twelve kid, but he tr- he would have been. It was the it was the eleven, the twelve, and the thirteen. What if they kept right. all of the kids that left on for that? This was Brian Kelly's vision in 2012 Was the was the you know the three year Notre Dame national championship, the mystical three year. But 2014 was it really felt like that's what Brian Kelly's recruiting was building up to, and all of these kids just they just slipped through his hands. Gunnar Keel, Devontae Neal, that's the top two kids of your 2012 class, right? Devontae was borderline. He was a five star with ESPN. Just got Aaron. Aaron Lynch in 2014. Oh my God. Yeah. Aaron Lynch in 2014. But, but but that would have been senior Aaron Lynch. There's no way he comes back for a fourth year. No, no way. Right. But I mean, maybe he does. (laughs) Uh, We're we're, we're playing the what ifs. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. (laughs) Um, so it's that's one thing that I always find interesting is and, and a lot of times when you see a kid grad transfer and they don't amount to anything or, you know, they, they transfer out of a program and they don't go there. But a lot of times when you transfer out, maybe you don't necessarily step into the right scenario. Maybe taking a foot a year of football off isn't the best thing for your development. So somebody like a Gunnar Keel who didn't end up, you know, he ended up at Cincinnati and it didn't necessarily work out for Gunnar Keel. But what if he had stayed in a you know, Notre Dame and stayed in, I guess, a, who was the 14, uh, offensive coordinator? Uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't LeFleur, right? It wasn't LeFleur. Like, was, was he 15? No, he, he, he was only a quarterback's coach at Notre Dame. LeFleur. He would have, yeah, he would have, he would have been the one developing him. Right. But a quarterback. Yeah. yeah a quarterback. But yeah, I mean, maybe if you stay in a, in a, at a school for, you know, more than a year, you're able to see some snaps in 13. Certainly he would have saw some snaps in 13. Um, and then 14, he would have had a shot to, to compete for QB one with Golson. But I don't know. I just, uh, I think that 2014 was a season that possibly could have been a title run for BK. And you saw it against Florida state. They were this close to the, I mean, Florida state ended up flaming out in the playoff and they sort of lived on razor's edge all year, right. but they were this close in Tallahassee. Yeah, Pat did, Pat did a great article on the uh, uh, of the 2014 season. We're talking about uh, you know best teams that didn't win a championship. Yeah, uh, I mean, as far off as Notre Dame was in 2014, uh, you know they were that close against Florida State at the time at that moment. Uh, but Pat wrote a, a great article about 2014 being the champions of being wild as hell. Uh, yeah. because, of the, <laughs> because that's what the 2014 season was. 
you put those players in there um, and maybe I, and according to mine, uh, you know, if you're, you're keeping the kids that were able to be there, um, maybe the, the, the five play. Right. So, uh, you know, somebody's gonna have to fill me in. I don't actually remember what happens to Deontay Greenberry. He goes to Houston. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And what, what did he do at Houston? If anything, did he finish at Houston? Uh, uh, yeah, he finished at Houston. <laughs> let, me, let me break out the. Uh, the all right, yeah, so he was the first ever five-star commit to go to Houston. Look, he listen. He was a in his freshman year. Uh, he was a starter for three years. He played okay. three years at Houston, uh, and then bolted for the uh, NFL draft. Uh, he caught forty-seven balls and five hundred sixty-nine yards, three touchdowns. Freshman year, his sophomore year. Uh, caught 82 balls for 1,202 yards and Whoa. 11 touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Greenberg, that's, that's what I'm saying. Put those, put those first two, put those first two years, those numbers, in in South Bend. And yeah. Deontay and Greenberry John, is John one of those Kim, names. John O'Corn was his quarterback, right, of Michigan lore. Uh, the famous right. John Canacorn. Um, now he did, he did, he did fall back his junior year. Now I don't know if he. Suffered an injury at all, uh, but he still played in 13 games in 2014. He caught 72 balls, so 10 balls less, uh, but only 841 yards. So Greg uh, Ward, you know, that's a Greg Ward was his quarterback in 2014, and Greg Ward threw okay. for 2,000 on the season. Yeah, so, he had six yard. He only had six touchdowns. So, but I mean, so for his career in three years, I he had two. He had 201, yeah. 201 yards receiving, uh, or 201 receptions. 2,612 yards receiving and 20 touchdowns in the three next, years at Houston. The next highest receptions in that 2014 in his junior year was 33. So he had 72 and the next highest guy had 33. Just, yeah. uh, just what he, he was, was working dude. with. Yeah. He was their dude. Hey, Deontay Greenberry was a hell of a, he was the one Notre Dame fans wanted more than Shepard. It was yeah. just that Shepard was the, more outgoing. The stories are all about Shepard because his recruitment was so fucking wild. I mean, he was deaf, so there was a huge thing about you, him, Notre Dame and USC about uh, the classes providing help to him. At, you know, being deaf, uh, and, you know, the meetings with the USC coaching staff at like a fucking Shoney's or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was it was a wild ass recruitment that no one knew what was going on. I mean, it, it was up and down, up and down. And then signing day happened, and here comes we get Shepard, and which was a huge like I almost say surprise, but it was like holy fuck, we finally we got him. And then Greenberry goes silent, and next thing you know, he fucking signs with Houston. I mean that th- this is I, maybe not the beginning of the whole Fresno uh, thing, yeah, but it <laughs> certainly is like 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 the one of the biggest key moments of the whole Fresno thing. Uh, the, the uh, wide receivers coach for Houston uh, was, was the big thing there with Greenberry. He, he knew him. Uh, and look, it was a, no one talked about Houston with green and Greenberry, that entire recruiting process. We knew that he, uh, I guess what happened is it, it, this is all from memory leading up to signing day, like the week before Greenberry took a visit and went silent. He took a visit to Houston 
and everyone thought it was just kind of a joke. He had family there. Uh, he knew the wide receivers coach. Everyone just kind of thought it was kind of like, a, all right, I know you. I like you. You want me to? I, I'm going to do this because uh, you know I favor to a family friend. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or you know, just yeah, favor. Uh, I respect you. I, I'm going to come hear what you have to say. No one believed that he was going to flip like that. Um, and this is exactly what fucking happened. I mean, he was a Notre Dame com- commitment on you know, on paper on the websites up until signing day. Wow. Crazy ass shit. I mean, that wild as hell. And that's why I miss the old signing day as terrible as that is. <laughs> I do miss, I do miss the fun, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's yes, it's much better now. We won't get into all that, but it, it's, it, it was wild as hell, man. So cool. yeah, you, you, you throw him on that class through him, uh, you know, just uh, by himself on that class. Oh my God. You know, the, the firepower Notre Dame would, would have, Oh, that D line uh, with Vanderdose and yeah, it just <laughs> Fresno, you fuckers, that whole city. Uh, dude, uh, Notre Dame is looking at a Fresno kid right now. I think, uh, that, or, or did I, I was thinking, uh, yeah, there's a Fresno kid that they're high on now. It's like, uh, <laughs> why, why? That's why. Why are we even recruiting there? Just stay as, away. As George Bush you once famously a, said, "Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, we won't get fooled again." <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, they they are literally Charlie Brown and Lucy right now uh, with with this whole city of Fresno. Uh, it's it's incredible. All right, well, I got one for you guys, uh, and again, this. The, it's a little different. <clears throat> Notre Dame uh, in 2017 and in 2019 had epic. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say epic. Uh, epic games against the, the Georgia Bulldogs. Both games were close. Both games Notre Dame lost. Which one would have made a greater impact if Notre Dame mm-hmm. had won? 2017 mm-hmm. or 2019? Now, keep in mind, 2017 was the year Notre Dame went down to Miami and got their asses handed to them. And 2019, we don't have to remind you, was the year we went up to Ann Arbor and got our asses handed to us. Uh, it, around, well, it wasn't the same time. I guess uh, the Michigan game was a, a couple weeks earlier than what the, the Miami, Miami game, game was. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but basically the same kind of pattern, in a sense, uh, right. other than we went out to sort of one last year. But which game do you think makes a bigger impact? I think there's only one correct answer. Well, there's two answers. <laughs> I, but I think that there's only one correct answer. Which one? Well, I think it's 2019. Because in 2017, um, at that point, Georgia wasn't the proverbial Georgia. They hadn't played for a national title. They hadn't won a playoff game. It was Kirby Smart's first season. It was um, a hand were, wave. Jake, right. Fromm's, Jake Fromm's first start. <clears throat> Right. They were ranked 15th when Notre Dame played them, by the way. Ranked 15th. Notre, Notre Dame was ranked 24th, and Georgia was ranked 15th. It was a home game, which I think is also a pretty big factor for Notre Dame. Um, if Notre Dame wins a game against the top four Georgia on the road with, I don't know, a laser light show, like, a, um, <laughs> like an EDM concert going on uh, for most of the third and fourth quarter, 
and they're able to beat Georgia in that particular football game on CBS in primetime. I don't know if you can find a bigger Notre Dame win in the last 25 years. While 2017, if they beat, if they beat Georgia, who knows, Georgia would, the, the naysayers might say, yeah, well, I mean, you beat, LSU in uh, in a bowl game in 2017, and it sort of just sort of scoffed at. But I think, um, or much less the 2014 one. Uh, I guess my my inclination was 2019 as well, um, just because I think it's easier to wave away. And I think this is speaking to Brendan's point, so I, I think I'm agreeing with Brendan here. It's easier to wave away the 2017 uh, win. And say, oh, Georgia was had to start this new quarterback, and this wasn't the guy that they picked. And 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 as he kind of alluded to, Georgia wasn't exactly Georgia. I mean, they had played uh, in the SEC championship game, uh, obviously, but um, fairly recently. But uh, you know, Georgia in 2019, it, it uh, and also having it in Georgia, that's that that uh, that breaks down so many things about Brian Kelly can't beat good teams on the road. Um, you know, and, and I, to be honest with you, I'm a little tired myself of saying, I guess you missed the uh, 2012 Oklahoma game. Like if I have to go back to Oklahoma and be like, you know, this was the, this is the win. Then somebody could easily say, okay, well, what's, you know, what's the second big win, you know? Um, so I, I think, I think I agree with Brennan. I think 2019, makes more of a difference to the narrative. It makes more, it's more impressive. Uh, it's a more impressive win over Georgia. Um, it's not something that's supposed to happen. You're, you're supposed to beat them at home ish, even though yes, Georgia was the better higher ranked team and probably considered the better team. And I bet you the point spread was more in Georgia's favor, but, um, I, I think 2019 is the right answer here. No, before I, before I uh, argue your guys' points at all, uh, does either win either in two th- if they beat Georgia in seventeen or nineteen, does does that change anything do you, in your minds with the Miami or Michigan games? Like, do you think you think that still plays out uh, in the in the same way? I mean, I think there's no real way of knowing. I mean, obviously, uh, but I mean, is there something that you could pull from them? winning a game like that where, you know, I mean, the 2019, that'd be a huge win on the road, right? right. Against Georgia. So it's, so it's another road game against, uh, against Michigan. Uh, you know, is there more confidence going into that game? Do they decide to get off the bus in that game to, uh, to show that, you know, they're an undefeated powerhouse. I mean, I think my, the easy answer would be, it probably says more about Georgia than it says about Notre Dame, especially if Notre Dame falters the way that they did in, in both those games, because now you have this like transitive property thing that, that really kind of starts screwing with Georgia. Right. But I'm going to say that 2017 still plays out the way that it does, even if they beat Georgia. Um, because I don't think that beating Georgia at home with this, with the, you know, for all the reasons we just mentioned with the new quarterback and, and, you know, sort of the beginning of the season and all the way, all the reasons that, you know, the, the pundits sort of wiped away the 2018 Michigan win. I don't think that, that, that makes the difference because they talk about how they were almost beat psychologically when they got off the bus. Right. And it was just like, they, they never got an atmosphere that raucous and, and they didn't really know how to handle themselves. And because of that, 
I think 2019 Georgia went a lot better because of what happened with 2017 floor, or 2017 Miami. So I think that 2019 Georgia beating Georgia in Georgia might have more of an effect on 2019 Mi- Michigan than beating 2017 Georgia home would have a 2017 Miami on the road. Does that make sense? Yes. And I, and I think that's right. I mean, that point, I agree with you. Um, Brody, See, we you gotta, agree. <laughs> it can happen. I don't uh, think I, I don't think 2017 <clears throat> beating Georgia doesn't change who Brandon Wimbush is. And because it doesn't change who Brandon Wimbush is, I think that maybe beating Georgia could have given Ian Book um, a confidence boost that I think he needed a little bit more time to get. Perhaps. I don't I don't know. But it, I don't think that it would have this sort of I don't think Brandon Wimbush gets a confidence boost from beating Georgia um, in that particular game. Let's say this the strip sack doesn't happen right. and Notre Dame goes down and they kick a field goal and they win the game. Um, I don't See, think I th- that. Yeah, go ahead. I guess I mostly kind of agree with you guys, but um, I, the, uh, this is a little bit more than devil's advocate because because I I I, I went back and forth on this when I was thinking about it. <clears throat> 2007, 2017 Georgia was a better team than 2019 Georgia. Yeah, I agree with that. That so, defense for Georgia in 2019 I, was electric. At the at the moment at the moment of of Notre Dame playing Georgia and uh, and. Uh, both years, obviously 2019 was a bigger deal, the higher ranked Georgia team, but given the, you know, the, the, how the seasons played out 2017, Georgia was better in 2019, Georgia. Um, so I think, you know, something that happened, you know, I was there, you know, in the, <laughs> in the, the press room after the game, uh, you know, with, you know, with the question hit Kelly, you know, about, is how are you going to stop? You know, she went on and on about, about it before she got to it, but basically, you know, how are you going to keep Notre Dame from snowballing? Like in 2016, that lost to to Texas. So I, I think a win in 2017, I guess, Georgia, you are totally vindicated uh, with, you know, Notre Dame with bringing back Brian Kelly. Cause I mean, to that point still in 2017, I, I mean, you just came off that four and eight season and it wasn't like you were like, uh, you know, like a world beater that's, going into that Georgia game. That's a good I mean, point. That's a good point. It, it erases that narrative <clears throat> that we all had that collective kind of holding our breath, waiting for that USC game, because we were like, we don't play anybody between Georgia and USC. That's going to impress anybody to the right, extent. And that was a big point. Then, right. Yeah. Remember that? Was, so beating Georgia definitely, definitely would have, would have helped considerably. Okay. 2016 was clearly an aberration. 2017, they're, they're good to go. And then all of a sudden, if you beat USC by the, what you beat USC by, then all of a sudden it's like, Oh dude, this Notre Dame team is going to compete for a national championship this year. And then obviously Miami would have been more soul crushing. I think at that point. Yeah. If you're Notre Dame and you beat Georgia in 2017, you were 13th going into playing number 11 USC. If you beat if you have that Georgia win, you're undefeated going to that game. You're a top five team. You, You might even be number four at that point going to that USC game and then you just beat the dog shit out of them. So you're going into that NC state state game, which by the way, NC state was ranked 14th. Yeah. You're going in. I mean, cause Notre Dame was ranked. They ranked Notre Dame fifth, jumped, brought them up four spots after the NC state win. So, I mean, you're talking like number three, number two in the country head down to Miami. I mean, they were number three anyways, go down to Miami. Yeah. But I mean, you're, you're making bids for number one. 
uh, you know, at that point. And you got the resume to back it, uh, you know, with your with your top 25 wins. I mean, you have a very strong resume. Uh, and they were these were look, Notre Dame blew out Temple 49-16, uh, lost Georgia, but then they blew out Boston College 49-20. Ran went up to Michigan yards. State, blew them out 38-18. You took care of your cupcake, Miami 52-17. You went down to North Carolina with – uh, without your starting quarterback, mind you, and still won 33 to 10. And then you blow out ranked teams and USC 49, 14, and NC state 35, 14. Uh, you had, and then, you know, the chink of the arm, everyone says was that wake forest game. You know, they won 48, 37. I, I like to argue that point a little bit. They kind of let off the gas quite a bit, uh, in that second half. But anyways, I just feel by the time you get you get down to that Miami game, I all the narr- I don't know, I I don't know. I I guess that's my my best answer is I don't know. Is there a part but of you it, it in the players? It seems like it's a huge. It seems like a huge thing going from that four and eight. I mean, you are the fucking talk uh, of the country at this point. Uh, after because mind you, Georgia's winning football games. Yeah, I mean, you know, after that. If Georgia still does what uh, what Georgia does, even if they lose to Notre Dame um, in that game, you know they go uh, they beat a dog shit. I mean they beat Samford, Samford, but then they beat a ranked Mississippi State team. I mean they're blowing teams that blew Tennessee out, blew Vanderbilt out. Uh, well, they still they Missouri still win the out. SEC. They they get down to Auburn, but they you know they end up losing to Auburn um, pretty badly <laughs> uh, in, in that game. But I mean, it's still like that. Was, your your rep every week because that's your big win just increases, 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 right? So I mean, I, I agree with you guys about 2019. You know, in a lot of ways because you know, look, if if, if they beat Georgia, it's still still one loss to Michigan, right? Even if even if Notre Dame loses to Michigan, the way they lost to them. It's still only one loss, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then you so went we on a six. The whole disrespect where they. Well, yeah, I, th- I think I think their six-game winning streak, you know, after the Michigan game, if it stays the exact same, their their six-game winning streak, you're getting more respect for that blowing teams out of the water than you did after. Then with the Georgia loss coupled with that Michigan loss, the Michigan loss looks like a Clemsoning rather than yeah. it just looks like a, a well, it looks like it looks like Georgia in 2000. Listen, it looks like Georgia in 2017 when they Losing lost, Auburn. lost Auburn like 40 was it 41 10. Well, and they got payback, they 40, got payback 40 to 17. Against, they got payback against Auburn in the SEC title game. They, that Georgia team still won the SEC that year. Right, right. Um, exactly. Auburn didn't even, or Alabama didn't even play in the conference title game, and they got invited to the playoff in 2017. Right. I mean, cause, and that's what I said. That's a, this is a 2000. This is why. I mean, 2017 Georgia was better. I mean, they yeah. won the SEC. You won a playoff game. I mean, it was Oklahoma. I mean, it's, it's everybody's favorite team to beat in the playoffs. Oklahoma. They were two a, two a pass away from winning the championship, though. So right. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty good. That's a pretty good team. Yeah. 2017 Georgia was a fucking good. It was team. a good team. But 2018 Georgia, do you remember what they did on a certain um, evening on December 31st? Do you remember what that 2018 Georgia team was doing during the first round of the college football playoff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a there's a thing called Twitter. Yeah, they were on on. Twitter and they were roasting Notre Dame. (laughs) 
I just, I don't know, man. It would have felt like vindication for the, I think winning in 2017 would have been nicer to show that 2016 was an albatross, which I think it took him a few years to show it eventually, right? 2018 came, but I think that 2019 Georgia winning that football game, I think would have validated 2018 and we all would have collectively felt better than probably. I mean, does it? I mean, does it make you feel any different though with the same result against against Clemson in the playoffs though in 2018? I think, I think so, because Clemson ended I mean, you, up because you, just... you can't say you can't say that you. I mean, Georgia was ranked 15th in 2017. They lose. They're still in the ranks in the top 25. They go on that tear. I mean, they're a borderline top 10 team. Uh, I mean, the, 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 look, even with a loss to Notre Dame, they they still win the SEC championship, yeah. right? So. You know, you beat the SEC champion. I, I, yeah, I could see the Clemson loss coupled with the Julian Love storyline. Uh, maybe gets a little more play. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, if you beat Georgia, you you flip them, right? You end up as the number three team, and Georgia's the number seven. And then you sort of ride in the top four for a little bit, and then a loss to Michigan in embarrassing fashion drops you instead of to sixteen. You probably drop to like ten. Yeah, there's you different. Said, ar- I mean, that there's different arguments for 19 and 17 for Notre Dame and Georgia. I like that. So. I, I think. I mean, I think everything you guys said about 2019 makes absolute sense. And but I mean, I think a lot of what we're talking about with 17 makes absolute sense. I just, and I don't know which one. <clears throat> I honestly don't know which one makes more of an impact. And I honestly don't know which one I would have preferred. If you would tell me I could go back in time and change one of those outputs, I'm not sure which one I change. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, I, I, I think maybe the, the go-to would be to change the one top five, you know, team on the road, uh, would be 2019, but man, I think, I just think for everything that the 2017 game could have represented, uh, at the time, I think that I, maybe that gives me a little bit more edge. I don't know. It's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. That's the beauty of a what if. All right, let's do one more round. Cause fuck it. I am exhausted. I have to go to work tomorrow. So I am, I am going to, I'm going to tap out, but I, if you guys do another round, I will definitely listen to you guys do another round. Do a quick one. We'll do, let's do lightning round and then we'll get out of here. Do a quick one. Lightning round. Okay. Uh, I like thinking about uh, Deshaun Kaiser coming back for the 2017 season. And what that would have meant for both Deshaun Kaiser and for the for Notre national Dame. champions. It would have it would have national answered champions. Josh's question. <laughs> yeah, national national, national <laughs> champions, national champions. That's it. There's there your answer. Perfect. Brendan, lightning round. <laughs> um, a little bit longer. Uh, uh, what if Randy Moss gets to come to play? Oh my God. National champions. <laughs> <laughs> national but champions. What was Rand, what would have been Randy's right? first year? Remind me again. Ninety ninety four. So he would have been there for the uh, his freshman year. I think was ninety five. So, so he would have been there for against Ohio State ninety five and ninety six. Yeah. Champions. Lord have mercy. Yep. Oh you would have had some. Rob, you would have Ronnie Ronnie P to, to Randy. Better than Ron oh, in the football. Oh, that's so good. National champions. National champions. National champions. Uh, okay. Mine is not so uh, optimistic. Uh, what, what, where's Notre Dame sitting at right now? Brian Kelly takes an NFL job after, oh, uh, after 2012. That's good. 
Oh, do we do we have any idea who who was the top candidate? Was it like Rich Rod or somebody who was the top? Randy candidate? Etzel. No, Rich Rod was already employed by. <laughs> was it Randy Etzel for real? I don't know. I'm just always going to go with Randy I mean, Etzel. I, I mean, no, Herb. I guess that was Urban's first year, and uh, was Urban's first year in 2012? 2012. Yeah, 2012 was his first year. Because they were they were post they couldn't play in the uh, postseason. Yeah, so the 2013 coaching hires, so just to sort of pick at who you would be able to rather, you know, perhaps have. But the 2013, you could have had Lane Kiffin, just got fired, old lady, Kiffy Kins. Um, uh, Willie You could have had, Will, uh, he's out there. Uh, Clay Bobby, Helton. You know? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Oh, some names. Chris Peterson ended up Not taking the, the Washington time. job. Uh, but I think Peterson would, is a pipe dream, but I think he went there for like uh, – proximity reasons uh bob diaco could have oh, stepped stop. in uh what about what uh, charlie strong was certainly would have been an option he took the Texas know, job all i know is if they had hired brett bielema that would have been borderline erotic <laughs> <laughs> um james 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 franklin was hired by penn state that year could have had uh could have had uh jimmy franks that, and you know his, what that would have been the hire because van vanderbilt, vanderbilt yes that would have been, that probably would have been the hire, um, but when did when did when did uh, Franklin get hired by Penn State though? Was um, it, it, I have was the it, date it, that he was hired. February? Uh, yeah, no, was it, would have, it it would have he was hired by Penn State on January second. Okay. Yes. So Notre Dame's out. Notre Dame's out. Let me let me talk to you about. Well, well hold on a second. He might know Notre Dame's coming open though, because so that could change the narrative. But let me talk to you about Todd Munkin. Yeah, we were on the triple option. No, 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 that's uh, Jeff Munkin. <laughs> wasn't, yeah, Munk- <laughs> wasn't Todd Munkin uh, a Lou Holtz uh, assistant? Am I right? Uh, about yeah, that? yeah, I think he was. And then Adazio started at Boston College. He was also a former Notre <laughs> Dame guy. Oh my I'm God. just saying. Matt Rule? Uh, was Matt rule, Matt, Matt rule, wasn't Matt no, rule Matt, yet. Though. Matt rule wasn't Matt rule yet. He was, he, he was an offensive line coach in with the Giants. Yeah. yeah. He, he was just starting a temple. So, yeah. I mean, the, the nice thing about Todd Munkin being hired. Oh, Brian Pullian also had Notre Dame connections. He just started at, uh, at Nevada. That would have, that was his first scene in Nevada. The good thing about if it was Todd Munkin is it would have brought the former offensive coordinator for the Eastern Michigan University Eagles while Josh was at school there because he was the DB and wide receivers coach from 93 to 97 in EMU and then the offensive coordinator at 98, 99. So uh, it would have been nice because Brian Kelly was my head coach at at, uh, Central when I was at Central. Um, And then, Josh, you could have had you could have had Todd Munkin. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wouldn't you want a coach that that not only has a legacy at Notre Dame, but has beaten Notre Dame as an opposing head coach. And I am talking about oh, Skip, Skip Holtz. Oh, the greatest offensive coordinator in Notre I mean, Dame history. They built, they built him a statue a outside the, the, the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so real quick, let me, I'm going to list off every, the guys that were hired in 2013. PJ Fleck. Willie Taggart. Bobby Petrino. Gross. Gary Anderson of Wisconsin. Gus Malzahn at Auburn, Awful. Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, Elam at Arkansas, Sonny Dykes at California, Dave Dorn at NC State, Terrible. Mike McIntyre at Colorado, Awful. Trent Miles at Georgia State, uh, see, Tuberville, 
Tommy Tuberville at Cincinnati. Tommy yeah, he basically wow. mailed hey, it. Hey, 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 no, no, no. I got it. I got it. I got it. Without question, Butch this would have been Notre Dame's hire. Butch Jones. Butch <laughs> Jones. Absolutely. Champions of he life. Was coaching. He, that was his first year at Tennessee in 2013. It would have been fucking definitely Butch Jones. And we just hire another coach from Cincinnati, right? We just take Cincinnati's uh, sloppy seconds. It's, it's, it's new Miami of Ohio. Cincinnati is new Miami of Ohio. Just That's nice. There, the coach there, just go get them. Uh, it's the next era. You know what? I also wouldn't be surprised if they back a Brinks truck up to uh, old uh, Mark D'Antonio's house and try and hire him away if you want to get that uh, connection. Or they would have um, maybe, uh, well, no. It was PJ Flex first year at Western Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't, uh, the boat hadn't left the, the harbor boat yet. The boat yet. Yeah. So. That was the uh, that was rated as a C higher, by the way, <laughs> by Athlon Sports, the number twenty eighth ranked higher. PJ Fleck. Well, who who wants the old wide receivers coach for the Bucks, right? Uh, Ron <laughs> Turner was thirty for FIU. Uh, no, I mean number one overall hire for the for that year. It was Willie Taggart. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah Willie Taggart. Um, I loved I loved Willie Taggart in all of his years at. Uh, Florida State. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just remembering my favorite right. season he had at Oregon too. All right, know. so let, let, let's wrap this up. Jude, give us a goodbye. What do you got? Anything? Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm very unprepared. Uh, I will tell you that quarantine has convinced me that I need to read more old Notre Dame books. So I bought about 25 or 30. <laughs> Because <laughs> I just I saw, can't, I can't I stop at one. I can't stop at one. So uh, the the one that I'm reading is about the 1988 championship season, and it starts with an anecdote about Michael Stonebreaker asking, I think, a female reporter for a kiss before he answers questions, which is about the squeamiest thing to read in 2020. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it had this sweet picture of Steve Bell's, uh, Tony Rice, and Kent Graham uh, posing. Like they used to oh, do in those old shots that I, I posted on Twitter. So uh, anyways, I, I, if you have a recommendation, hit me up at uh, NDJRS on, on Twitter about your favorite Notre Dame book. Uh, I probably own it now and I probably will get around to reading it. Uh, I've got perfect rivals. I've got natural enemies. I've got uh, yesterday, today, era of era, uh, era's nights, uh, Leahy's lads. I've got them all. So yeah, return to glory have, inside Tyrone Willingham. I today uh, in the Today, I got a copy of Return to Glory, and the other day, I got the gold standard and no excuses. So, if you've read no those No excuses two, is definitely going to be the next uh, bookcast book. Yes. No excuses is definitely the next bookcast book. Um, and I know you I, you got the book for right I now, got, right? Notre Dame Journalist Coaches. Yeah, I got the book. Oh, yeah, what's going on with that? I didn't do one last week. I was, I was ready to do it. But after a three-hour podcast plus, uh, plus a bookcast. It just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so, but this week we will get it to a, uh, we're going to have another recruiting podcast later this week. Plus there will be a continuation of the bookcast. but yeah, next one is no excuses. No fucking doubt about it. Right. <laughs> and I can't wait to hear the uh, Facebook people bitch. Why would you do this book? Like, why would you not do this book? Are you, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, so <laughs> a guy in eBay offered to sell me uh, Frank Leahy in the T formation for three dollars today. So I'm considering that. So 
I think I paid like 18 for my. Wow. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted it badly. It's like spot the difference. Catholic catechism. Frankly, <laughs> ET probation book. It's the same image. <laughs> Same book. Same fucking book. Uh, all right. Brendan, you got anything uh, heading out here? No, I'm just uh, I'm just excited for... Um, you don't want to tell everybody to go to One Foot Down and uh, to, to properly educate their children? Yeah, that's a good point. Is I did make a I did make a um I did do that, didn't I? That's right. Yeah. I made a um a workbook for your children so they can learn and not be indoctrinated by the um um these these state run education that they're getting from their teachers that are teaching them about conference alignments as their various teachers and wherever you live. Their teachers went to the local schools there where they're affiliated with conferences, and then they show up to school on a Monday, and they're teaching them all about um, the Big Ten or the ACC or something along those lines. No, you can you can go to OneFootDown.com and um, find uh, my fantastic uh, workbook. I believe it's it really like is. it it's really like is fantastic. Twelve pages, fourteen pages. I think it's fourteen, 14 pages. pages long. Uh, there's various activities. There's a word, a Navy word search. There is a uh, you can color in Golden Tate jumping into the band. Uh, you can spot the differences between uh, one of Brandon Wimbush's uh, various touchdown runs against the uh, Boston College Fredos. Um, there is uh, <laughs> spot the spot the the right picture for the uh, uh, Brian Kelly drinking from the uh, Legends Trophy. Um, well, I believe there's also uh, I, I did call someone out today. I, I saw that uh, that uh, Golik's wife retweeted the, uh, uh, a tweet with that. Yeah. And so I, I called her out today uh, and I did uh, have a terrible typo and said uh, something like um, the uh, I'm expecting uh, the Golik family uh, submissions, you know, from this, blah, blah, blah. Except I, I it was Gillick, G-I-L-I-C. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Well, fat thumbs, you know. Uh, maybe she's used to fat thumbs with all those, uh, linemen. Those linemen. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but she's uh, going to try to hold her up to it. She said, she's going to pass it on to, to big Mike and, uh, and the kids, uh, hoping see- to get some, uh, some submissions of golden tape being, uh, colored. Did you see, uh, Mike gold jr. And Darren Ravel going after it on Twitter today? I did not other okay. time you can see, drag Ravel. I, 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 yeah. I did see, stop, I did see something about him going after him. Stop me. If you've heard this one before. Darren Ravel said something completely idiotic on Twitter and then oh. rightfully got called out for it. Get out of here. So basically he said that uh, he compared um, people starting uh, the NFL season with possibly getting contracting coronavirus to, well, players already have CTE and they know that they're going to get it. So they're going to, you know, they're going to keep going after it or whatever. Ooh, and then somebody, somebody said, yeah, somebody said, uh, well, it's a little bit different for their families. And he said something effective, like, well, families knew what they were signing up for. Um, you can't pass CTE from your head to somebody else's head, but I'm pretty sure you can pass COVID-19. So that's, so that's, I saw like, it go I had seen something. I didn't yeah. know that's what, oh my God. No, Golik's thing was, Golik wasn't, he didn't drag him for that. Golik, what Golik did was, he was just like, look, can't you have a modicum of sense uh, of sensitivity to the fact that, you know, the people, the former players are struggling with CTE or memory issues or whatever, and not make this weird, you know, weird thing of like, well, because they, 
they know CTE is a part of the game. They'll they'll live with COVID nineteen too or whatever. Like you could have made your point without dragging CTE into this. And Darren was like, "No, that's that's how I make my point." And it was just like, you know, once again, might be ridiculous. Yeah. Darren Ravel not being sensitive to to anything or anyone, but you know, the par for the course for him. So except for not bending his knees when he runs a fucking forty. <laughs> That guy probably still runs a way faster 40 than I do, so I guess <laughs> respect you there. Oh, shit. Uh, so, yeah, so get that workbook. <laughs> get that to your kids. And I'm serious. I, I don't know if I made it a big enough point, but I want to see submissions. Uh, so definitely, you know, you do it. Your kids do it. I don't care. I want to see the uh, Golden Tate jump into the band. I want to see your your rendition of that. My daughter was super pissed. She is a pretty good artist, actually, and had a spectacular picture going until I reminded her that no, Golden Tate did not wear a green jersey. And no, these guys right here are Michigan State players and our name players. And uh, she's kind of got the same level of uh, temper as I do. Uh, (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that got tossed in the trash and she was like, fuck it. Uh, so, uh, this but it was a five star picture. Damn it. It was I'm gorgeous. Now, up until the point. I'm now gonna, she, she did the She did the, the Florida state green Jersey. She did the, she did the green Jersey with blue number with blue numbers, which I thought was kind of cool until I noticed. And I thought oh, that that'd be fine. Until I put out the Michigan state player. Uh, and she was just like, fuck this. <laughs> you asshole. Now I want to put Golden Tate and uh, Madonna blue jerseys and, and draw little stripes in on the side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so get the on over to us. Uh, also, uh, again, reminder, buy some shirts, damn it. Uh, all the T-shirt sales from last month, uh, I, I'll get the check for that uh, this week. And then that goes right up to Hannah's house uh, up in South Bend. That's uh, a wonderful charity that helps out uh, pregnant women uh, kind of down on their luck. Uh, gets them through the pregnancy to have a safe, uh, safe delivery for their child. Plus, it gives them a, a little bit of a, a head start there for the next, you know, four or five weeks after the baby's born. Gives them a safe place to be at. Uh, you know, helps them out quite a bit. Uh, so all the all the t-shirt sales, not just the Muffet Legend shirt, all the t-shirt sales from uh, from April. That the money that I get for that, that's going up there. May is going to be see the same thing, and I'm going to do June too. That's so awesome. so get. Get those. They're fucking great shirts. We've we've talked about them enough on this podcast. They're they're great shirts. They're comfortable as hell. Uh, get yourself a green Tommy shirt, y'all. Uh, or get that Muffet shirt. I mean, we should have we should have made the shirt. Build the fucking statue already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I think that would have sold pretty good. Why don't we uh, uh, that, do a, another release of it and then just a giant image printed on the back, an image on the front, and then get this, <laughs> an image on the back. Think about it. Then people know what you're wearing behind well, or in front. What do you think, well, John? Then I, then I would have to put the One Foot Down logo on one sleeve and the Hannah's <laughs> House logo on the, on the other sleeve. Yes. <laughs> I'll get yeah. the mock-ups to you in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> we got other things we're working on. Uh, uh, which is true. We got a lot of stuff going on uh, over at one foot, one foot down. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're all trying to get through this and we all will get through it. Uh, who we are all working under the, the, the fantasy of everything's going to be fine uh, <laughs> for the game week as of right now. I mean, there's, there's no point for us to keep passion over 
how the season's going to be and all that. It's just, it, A, it's no fun, and B, none of us have any fucking idea. Uh, so we're going to do, we're doing episodes like this, uh, which shit that we know. I no, mean, this, I can predict. This would be a great week for somebody to do a fan post, too. I mean, this is, if you want to ever talk about a what if, and you got a what if that we're not going to get to, uh, that wow. we didn't bring up tonight, um, I would love to see your posts on One Foot Down and, and the fan post section. You know, write a little ditty about uh, something that we didn't cover that you think is something. I bet you generates great discussion. It might even get uh, sent to the front page so we can even get more discussion. So absolutely, I'll put it right up there. I mean, let's let's talk. Let's have some fun. Let's talk about this let's shit. Have, let's have some fun. Yeah, I got I got a little shitty with a commenter this week on the site because uh, he used the phrase that I hate the most, uh, talking about things must be a little slow. No fucking shit. Things are a little slow. So why would you have to say that in an article? You know, comment on our, yes, we're, we're doing whatever. So, of course, things are slow. Uh, but, you know, none of this shit's out of the rumble what we would do anyways. But I got a little <laughs> shitty. I'm like, you didn't have to say that. You, you know damn well what's going on. And everyone, everyone, newspapers, websites, ESPN, everyone's doing some oddball shit and some kind of out there stuff because that's what we have right now. That's what we're holding on to uh, for sanity and for entertainment reasons. So chill the fuck out. Just don't give me any more fuel for the weirdo fucking fire that I can light. Uh, Cause I can make this shit even weirder. Uh, <laughs> trust me. Uh, and I have no problem. I, uh, there is no ego or I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I don't give a shit. <laughs> that's <laughs> plain and simple. I don't, I don't give a shit if you, if you don't like it or not. Don't read it. Uh, but we're going to have some fun and things are going to be different. The podcast may get even more wild. I swear to we should have fucking recorded Jude and I screaming at each other uh, for that <laughs> half hour beforehand. Uh, maybe after the uh, – I'll tell you what. After the uh, – there, there is a small snippet that I recorded. So after the uh, <laughs> alma mater plays here, after, after, the, after the alma mater plays, if you've listened this long – we will reward you because it's the two hour podcast now. We will reward you with Jude and I screaming at each other for all, all about, I don't even know, maybe a minute. Uh, and maybe it was just Jude talking nonsense, or maybe it was Brendan <laughs> playing Peacemaker. Uh, and while I was fiddling around trying to hit record because I thought the shit was too hot not to have. Uh, but uh, <laughs> then I thought, well, I'm secretly recording people. I'm not going to have Joshua Gate going on. So. Anyways, but I will I will I will put that snippet in after the uh, alma mater. So thanks again for listening. I hope this is helping you guys out doing your yard work, uh, and we enjoy it. And we will be hearing from you. You'll be hearing from us very soon. Go Irish. It's a, it's a, it's a, a houses clear play. They got five stars. They're five star talents. All of them are five stars.
That's okay, then, Jude. I mean, then let's pick out all the fucking five stars they'd win in the third round. Like, I get, or fourth round. Here we go. Uh, oh, hold on. That's hold my on. whole point. Five that, star. I'm not five star for that. Five star. The whole conversation is based. So the, the 2016 class. Is based off of 